Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for Thursday, November 1st, 2018. It is the day after Halloween. It is the day after Tyus Jones night. So the, the one thing about whenever players get scratched, as much as it does suck, especially with somebody like Tyus Jones, who probably a lot of us had a lot of exposure to, the one thing that I do find greatly entertaining about it is just to read the Twitter comments, specifically under the Fantasy Labs, when they, when they put out the initial tweet, like, Tyus Jones' foot has been scratched, and you just, immediately you're going to get the the uh, shoveling money into the, the fire gif, and just overall people freaking out, and it's never rational responses, but I enjoyed 100 times out of 100, even though going into reading those responses, I always know what they're going to be. They always end up being entertaining to me. Um, so the, the other thing on the Tyus Jones front, just because I see people on Twitter also, and part of this comes from the, I guess, angry DFS mob that's on the Twitter.com app, is this isn't any kind of conspiracy or anything would happen with Tyus Jones. The timing really sucked, but is what happened with this injury was basically they were going through pregame warm-ups. He hurt his foot at some point while taking a layup, warming up before the game. Uh, his foot was bothering him, went to the training staff. They pulled him out of the game, basically. They went and told the media. The media released it, and just so happened that the timing that the news came out was two minutes after the game locked on DraftKings, which was at 8.02, and then, at least if you played on FanDuel and had Tyus Jones, there is still the benefit of the lowest score getting dropped. So put one point in the bucket for the low score drop over late swap, because uh, this is basically what it was made for. You had a cheap guy who was kind of a boom-bust play. Not really. He, he should have been fairly safe. But basically, he had a cheap play who threw into a lineup, ended up taking a zero, but really didn't kill any lineups that he was in, in theory. Um, and that game, at least at the time I'm recording, is at halftime, and Derek Rose just went absolutely bonkers in the first half, scored a gazillion fantasy points, played a lot of minutes, which I think was somewhat expected anyway once... Um, once Jeff T got ruled out, but then it was almost a guarantee once uh, Tyus Jones got ruled out also, which we didn't know afterwards. Uh, but, I mean, going into the slate, I had said that my two locks were Derek Rose and Elia Kobo. So, at least at that point, worked out. But I still have a lot of Tyus Jones exposure, and that's going to that's gonna hurt a little bit. But at least, hopefully, I end up with a couple of high-end lineups where I just have Rose and not Tyus Jones in them, because uh, he, should, he should benefit from that situation. Talking about Thursday night's games, uh, six games on the slate, so relatively small, uh, not a whole lot of injury information right now. One thing to keep an eye out for is what happens with the Pelicans. We do know that Anthony Davis is playing Wednesday night, so no reason to expect he won't play Thursday, but we have Alfred Payton, who's missed the last couple of games, and his status is unknown as of this point in time. But the first game on the slate for tomorrow, we have the Denver Nuggets playing on the tail end of a back-to-back, going into Cleveland to play the Cavaliers. Now, one thing I'm just going to check really quickly going on the first half is what do the minutes look like for Denver? Still getting first half minutes for uh, Monty Morris tonight, who has really played well this year. And I, I think that there's a case to be made that he should be the backup point guard even when Isaiah Thomas comes back, given how well he's played Six games late, it's a little bit harder to find value. But Monty Morris at 3,900, if we look at his 
recent amount of minutes played, 29, 27, 24 minutes. Even in close games, he's generally getting playing time. And he's done some really big things in a limited amount of minutes. If we look at three of the last four games, at least uh, 22 fantasy points in them, he's scored as many as 41 fantasy points in just 27 minutes. So we look at Monty Morris at 3,900. If this was like a 12-game slate, probably not somebody I would consider. But for such a small slate, I think Monty Morris makes some sense as a value play. And then, yeah, I mean, the regular guys like Gary Harris, Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic are all fine, but I'm not exactly lighting the world on fire by saying any of them are in play against the Cleveland Cavaliers. From the Cavs side of the game, uh, Chetty Osmond was pretty good last game. Uh, first good game he's had in in a minute with uh, Kevin Love out, den- definitely benefiting a little bit. Uh, the usage rating was up for him, scored 20 points, had 32 fantasy points. If you look at him at 5,500, I think that he is a good target in the mid-range for this slate. Uh, Colin Sexton had his best game of the season so far, but what was significant about the game was that he played 28 minutes. So one of the reasons that Tyron Lue got fired, as I said the other day, was that there was a disagreement in management in terms of what the goal of the team should be right now, whereas management seemed to think that the young guys like Colin Sexton should be getting more playing time, whereas Ty Lue was of the opinion that the team should be playing George Hill because he gives the team the best chance to win today. And I understand how that kind of rift happens between coach and management because the reality is for a coach, they can't really be playing for the future unless they have a long-term contract locked in because if the team struggles, the coach is going to get fired. So it's never really in the coach's best interest to play for the future unless he has that long-term contract locked up where he knows he's going to be with the team five years from now and therefore he wants to play the younger guys. So I understand why that type of situation is happening all the time in sports, whether it be NBA, NFL, etc., is because there are just different goals from the owner who is all, who is definitely going to be that unless it's like some super old guy who's like nine years old, then he probably will like Jerry Jones. He always wants to win now because he's been an owner for for forever and he's 120 years old. So the Cowboys are always in uh, must win mode because he is always on the clock. Uh, but anyway, the point being of that little rant is now that we have uh, a switch in the coaching regime for the Cleveland Cavaliers. The idea, you would think, is that Colin Sexton has to play more minutes if they have Larry Drew kind of taking over as the coach now and Ty Lue on the way out because he wouldn't play Sexton. It figures that Larry Drew would want to play Sexton more minutes. So we saw Sexton play a season high of the 28 minutes last game, produced pretty well, scored 32.5 fantasy points. So I think that he is in play at 4,600. And that's like uh, Osmond a lot at 5,500. As we look at that front court situation... Unless Larry Nance starts, it's just I don't think he makes for a great play. He only played 16 minutes last game. I know he had a couple big games the games before, but it was still it was 28 and 22 minutes, and he just was ridiculous on a per-minute basis. I think the guys to look at here are Chetty Osman, who's good for GPPs and cash games, and then Colin Sexton, still just a GPP play for me at this point because still rookie point guard, the production figures to be a little erratic, and I'm still not 100% sold that we're for sure going to be seeing a lot of minutes from him on a day-to-day basis. Uh, The next game on the slate, the LA Clippers at the Philadelphia 76ers. From the Clippers' side of the game, I think there's a lot of just fair pricing here across the board uh, where I do think there is some upsides on Shai Gilgis-Alexander, 
who the production has not been consistent for him, so he wouldn't be a cash game play. But as a GPP play, like there's upside if you look at his box score, like 25 fantasy points, 17, 35, 10. So he's a little bit all over the place, except we know that he could have that upside. And at 4,000, somebody who could score uh, 30 plus fantasy points, I think is sensible. One issue with what Gilgis Alexander has done this year is that it's he wasn't necessarily expected to be an impact player in year one, which he has been. So we've seen the minutes really spread out in the backcourt between Gilgis Alexander, Avery Bradley, Lou Williams, Patrick Beverly, and it kind of hurts all of them. Uh, but Gilgis Alexander, I still think makes sense just because we've seen that kind of upside from him up. Tobias Harris and Danilo Gallinari have both been fairly safe uh, cash game plays for most of the year. So I think both of them are good to fire up from the Sixers side of the game. Uh, let's see. We've got Dario Sarge is at 4,900. That looks pretty cheap for him. I'm going to look through his box scores really quick. Well, I guess this is why, because he's kind of sucked recently. Uh, hasn't scored more than 25 fantasy points in four consecutive games. But we look at the games for that 36, 36, 33 fantasy points for a short slate. I think there's a lot of upside in somebody like Sarge at only 4,900. I would be willing to roster him in GPPs and cash games. Um, Embiid, Simmons, Covington, I think that they are fine plays as well. Uh, I really think for me, though, the best value and the priority play here is going to be Dario Sarge at 4,900. Uh, moving on to OKC at Charlotte. For some reason on DraftKings, Westbrook has just been a bit too cheap to start the year. He's only 10700 for this slate, uh, 10500 last slate. If you look at his pricing for last year, which I brought up the other day, Almost the entire season, he was in the mid-11,000 range and got up to 12,000. So looking at him at 10,700, like that's just easily to me the guy to pay up for on the slate for Westbrook. I think the floor is somewhere around 40-something fantasy points. And then we know the ceiling is basically unlimited with Westbrook. We've seen him put up 100 fantasy point games. Uh, we've seen him fairly regularly put up like 60 to 70 fantasy point games. 10,700 is just way too cheap in my opinion. Uh, and then Jeremy Grant, I think, is uh, an okay value play at 4,200. If you look at the last three games for him since moving into the starting lineup, he's averaging 23 fantasy points as a starter, 26, 37, 31 minutes. So I like this spot for Jeremy Grant at 4,200. I think that he is a sensible play. And also on Grant, I think you could roster him in GPPs and cash games, given the limited amount of options on the six-game slate. From the Charlotte side of the game, uh, Kemba Walker, I think the price has gotten a little out of hand for me. Uh, Nick Batum, who I've been riding a lot recently and has had a couple of strong games as of late, uh, scored 34, 24, 34 fantasy points over his last three games, priced in the low 5,000 range. He's gone up to 5,700, so not quite as good of a value play as he's been in previous spots, but I still think that he's a pretty safe cash play and in play for GPPs. Then we have Jeremy Lamb all the way down at 4,400. Yeah, this, the minutes in the production really haven't been there consistently for him. I think you could throw him into a GPP. Don't love him in cash games just because the, the minutes are not as consistent as I would have expected for Lamb coming into the season. I think the best play for the Hornets on Thursday night is Batum. Uh, next game here, the Sacramento Kings at the Atlanta Hawks. The Kings have been surprisingly decent this year. They are, what are they, 5-3? and three? Uh, yeah, five and three. 
so they've been much more competitive than we would have expected, which is nice because we see so many Kings games that have a tendency to be blowouts. The one concern we, ha- we have with them is still just the Dave Yeager rotations. We don't know what the hell to expect from him on a day-to-day basis. Uh, De'Aaron Fox, for the most part, has been the uh, safe play, although he's battled some back soreness as of late, which caused kind of an off game for him last time to score 25 fantasy points in 31 minutes. Still list is probable for tomorrow. I think that he should be overall fine. I like Fox for GPPs. I like him for cash games. Uh, really plus matchup for him against Trey Young. Trey Young, I just think that he's going to struggle a lot against the more physical athletic point guards. De'Aaron Fox fits that mold. I think Fox could really destroy Young in this matchup. And we've got Buddy Heald at 6,400. If you look what Heald has done recently, uh, Uh, It's tough to say the minutes are trustworthy, but the last four games, 41, 36, 35, 39 minutes for Heald. He scored at least 32 fantasy points in all of them. So I think that Heald is in play for GPPs and cash games at 6,400. Now flash forward to 24 hours from now where Buddy Heald ends up playing 19 minutes and I'm looking at my my iPad going, what the hell just happened? But as it looks right now, I I think that Buddy Heald looks to be one of the better plays on the slate in the mid-range. Uh, then we've got Willie Cauley-Stein at 6,800. I think that he is somebody who's more of a GPP player for me, but I also think that he is fine to roster for this slate. Uh, 32 or more fantasy points in four consecutive games for him. From the Hawks side of the game, we saw Alex Len get most of the center minutes uh, last time out. I think it's going to be a really fluid situation between him and Deadman. I think that they're going to be alternating big games and minutes a lot, and the outcome is I just don't think I really love either one of them for the most part. Uh... If you want to stack this game, I think that's sensible. I prefer the King side to the Hawk side as as just kind of one-off type plays for GPP lineups. But Kent Bazemore, I think, is in play. Torian Prince, Trey Young, you could take a couple of those guys and pair them with like Buddy Heald and De'Aaron Fox for a mini-game stack that I think is uh, pretty sensible. There's no individual Hawks player that I look at and think that there's a ton of value to their price tags, though. Uh, next game on the slate, the Milwaukee Bucks at the Boston Celtics. I don't think this is going to be a great game to target. The Celtics have been the number one defense in terms of limiting DFS production this year. We have Giannis coming back from the concussion that forced him to miss last game. Eric Bledsoe and Chris Middleton both priced up a little bit after Giannis missed last game. And then just given how difficult this matchup is, I I don't really want a lot of exposure here. I'd much rather pay up for Westbrook than Giannis for this late. And then from the Boston side of the game, just the production's been so spread out. They have so many quality players on the team, and they're so deep that we just don't see big games from that many guys. And I just I just don't really love any of them from a DFS standpoint. Uh, Al Horford, I think, is fairly safe at 6000 price tag. Jason Tatum started the year really well, except he's cooled off considerably lately. And the other thing that I'm a little concerned about watching Jason Tatum this year and it's something that people have made a lot of jokes about uh, on Twitter, is that Jason Tatum trained with Kobe Bryant in the offseason, and now he's come into this year, and he's taking a ton of mid-range jump shots. Mid-range jump shots are the single least efficient shot in the NBA. They're my least favorite type of shot selection. I think guys should either be trying to get to the rim or they should be taking three-pointers. Everything in between is just kind of nonsense to me. I understand if you're wide open, then take the shot. But Tatum, to me, the shot selection has been very suspect so far this year taking a lot of contested and difficult mid-range jump shots. And that's part of the reason why he's only shooting 40% from the field. Uh, but that aside, 6300 to me, just kind of a fair price tag, especially because he's going to be drawing the defensive Giannis for a lot of the game. 
Uh, so Al Horford, I think, is the best play from this game, except it's not a priority for me at all. Uh, next game on the slate, the New Orleans Pelicans at the Portland Trailblazers. As I said before, we don't know the status of Alfred Payton, who's missed the last few games uh, with the bad ankle. With him out, we've seen added production go to Drew Holiday, who's been playing a lot more point guard. He's had the ball in his hands a lot. If Payton's out again, then I think Holiday is a pretty solid play at 7,300. I think he's the best play on the team. Uh, Anthony Davis, I think, is in play at 11,600, but I'd much prefer to pay up for Russell Westbrook, who historically scores more fantasy points per game than Anthony Davis and is also cheaper than Davis and also a little bit less injury risk when we consider that Davis is currently dealing with the uh, bad elbow. So on the on the Pelican side of the game, kind of have to wait and see what ends up happening with the Alfred Payton situation and then make some uh, more judgments on them after that. From the Portland side of the game, uh, I still think CJ McCollum a bit too cheap at 6,600. I think that he's the better value than Damian Lillard at 9,900. Uh, and then we've got Aminu is priced all the way down to 4,000. Uh, Aminu's been a little hit and miss so far this year. Uh Got off to a really slow start. I think he had like zero fantasy points at close to halftime in the last game against the Houston Rockets. And the game also ended up being a blowout, which kind of limited his playing time. But he had a really good third quarter, so at least he finished with 14 fantasy points. So it wasn't a total dud. But still, I look at I look at Aminu at 4,000. Just think that's way too cheap for him. Averaging uh, 21.5 fantasy points for the year. Averaged almost 25 fantasy points last year. So Aminu, I think, is a good play, even though people might be a little bit hesitant to roster him after the somewhat of a dud that he put up the last time out. Uh, so that is going to wrap up today's podcast. Not really a ton of value on this slate, but you never know. We might have something like Jimmy Butler uh, decides he's just not playing in in the afternoon like we saw on Thursday night. Uh, and then we saw Jeff Teague ruled out, which opened up the what was supposed to be somewhat obvious value on Tyus Jones. Uh, so maybe we, hopefully we get another fun Tyus Jones situation for Thursday slate. So that'll wrap us up and then I'll be back on Friday for, uh, for a bigger Friday slate.